Hey everyone, I'm Caitlin Endo from Students Rising Above, and this is How I Made My Path. This podcast is dedicated to amplifying the voices of diverse working professionals. Every episode, you'll hear exclusive conversations that bridge experiences between students and professionals, offer new insights on career paths, and uncover ways of unlocking your full potential. These professionals made their own paths. You can too. Take it from them. episode of How I Made My Path, we're joined by SRA board member Matthew Houston. Matthew is a SolidWorks Early Engagement Solutions Team Manager at Hawkridge Systems, managing a team that provides educators with SolidWorks 3D CAD software in the classroom and university research environment. His team has a direct impact on the workforce of tomorrow. He is also a sales mentor to founders and early stage startups at a local accelerator. Prior to his time as a sales leader, he spent multiple years as a military contractor, law enforcement officer, and in the United States Navy as a submariner. In this episode, we discuss leveraging new opportunities when exploring careers, his experience in the venture capital world, and more. This is how Matthew made his path. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. Before I get into my questions, do you mind introducing yourself and sharing how you would describe your career path? Sure. My name is Matt Houston. Um, I am a board member at SRA, um, and I work with uh, a company called Hawkridge Systems, providing uh, 3D CAD software to the education, uh, the education ecosystem in the United States and Canada. My career path, I would initially say opportunistic, but to kind of better frame it, I would say that uh, it was more of a me understanding that I needed to be uh, uh, active in what I was doing. So having an action um, and being really competent or excellent excellent at what I'm doing um, would create more opportunities. So my career path is based on those foundations of being in action um, and then really focus on being being excellent in what it is I'm doing, and then looking for that next opportunity going forward. Great. Thank you. I say this so often, but I always find it really fascinating when people reflect on their own lived experiences and find ways to connect the dots, you know, a little bit to make sense of their path. So if you're comfortable, is there anything in particular in particular you feel um, like you're, you experienced as a kid or in school that 
um, had a significant impact or influence on your career path? Um, I probably discovered the most about myself probably during the time when I was in the Navy, mm-hmm. um, you know, because there are a lot of there are a lot of opportunities that were you know, put in front of me during that time. I had a few great mentors who, you know, kind of encouraged me and coached and said, you know, these are things that, you know, you can clearly do. And the more I, you know, kind of took advantage of uh, the things that I wasn't sure of, the more I discovered that, oh, wow, you know, this isn't as hard as I thought it would be. And um, I am capable of uh, quite a bit more night than I imagined. So I think that would be the, the career building time, I would, I would say for me. That's great that you had mentors during that time in your life. Mentors are so awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> big fan, big fan. Very cute. Uh, <laughs> if you don't mind me asking, what inspired you to join the Navy? You know, at the time, uh, my parents, my, my dad wanted me to go to school in Maryland. That's where I was. That's where my family is. And uh, at that time, I remember I wanted to go to school somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, at the time, I couldn't what we couldn't afford to to send me out out of state. And Mm -hmm. so I was like, you know, maybe if I would go into the military, there'd be opportunity for me to, you know, be in a better position to put myself uh, at a a different institution. So I went that route. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, that's, you know, where it all started. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And what would you like, how would you describe your educational experience? What did you study or what topics were interesting to you? And did you kind of have an idea of where you wanted to take your career? No, I did. It's funny, you know, when I think back to those times, you know, there, I felt like there was a lot of, uh, there are people who would advise, would advise you and like, okay, you know, this is the time where you got to figure out what your life is going to be like going mm-hmm. forward. And during that time, I was just like, I, I, I'm not sure with exactly what I want to do. So uh, mm-hmm. I know I started out with, uh, my father's an engineer. So I thought, Oh, I could be an engineer. And I was like, yeah, that's not gonna work. So I ended <laughs> up, uh, I ended up uh, with going into business. But yeah, that you know, during those those years, I was like seventeen at the time. It was just, uh, it almost felt like you know, it was do or die. And mm-hmm. you know, now that I'm older, it's like, oh wow, yeah, you're gonna have so many careers in your lifetime. It's just, you know, it's no longer the, it's not like my parents' generation where you know, my dad he worked you know, a handful of jobs, but you know, that was just like the long-term, like you, you get to one spot and you stay in one spot. And that's, it's not the environment we're in now anymore. Yeah. I definitely echo that sentiment. I feel like there's so much pressure on college students or college age students to figure it all out, what they're going to major in, which has, you know, they feel like it has implications for their job prospects. And right. that's just not how life usually works. No, there's so much <laughs> you're going to discover so much you're going to discover, you know, as you discover more about yourself and like I said, the opportunities in the world open up to you. You'll eventually find a handful of things because there's never going to be just one career. It's going to be a, a bunch of things you'll get into. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It seems like I took a look at your LinkedIn and it seems like you have um, experience exploring a variety of industries. So you do have, you know, your military background and kind of things related, but you also have like motorsports in there and sales and finance <laughs> and ed tech. And I'm curious too, like as you've gained a variety of experiences in those different roles and industries, is there anything you feel like that's been consistent throughout your career? I know you mentioned your, um, you would describe it as opportunistic, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, do you feel like there's a common theme or something that kind of ties it all together that was alluring to you at, at those specific points in your life? I would say no matter the position that you're in, you know, um, what I would do is, you know, I'd get into a position and I would want to be the best at it. 
But in order to be the best at that position, I would want to learn more, uh, a little bit more outside of, of, of that role. Um, I'd want to learn more about like how the big picture works for, you know, strategy and like, how does this position work? How does this position work? And so having that understanding and gaining additional skill sets would make it so that I was able to take advantage of the next opportunity that rolled around. And so I found that to be a common theme with just about any position I've been in or any role or team I've been asked to lead. It's developing yourself in a very broad-based strategic, with a, just with a strategic mindset. And that way, when something else does roll around, you know, you're, you're set to, to go and, you know, discover what that is, because you're never going to fill all of that role, but you'll probably fill like, you know, probably 70, 80% of what that role requires. And the rest, you can kind of go and learn and discover on your own. Yeah, definitely. I feel like transferable skills are valuable. And um, yeah, like I think it's important to take some time to reflect as well on your past experiences so you can kind of leverage those into whatever you pursue next. For students who, you know, you mentioned in high school age and college age, you weren't really sure where you wanted to take your career. Do you have any advice kind of in retrospect um, for students who are wanting to explore but aren't really sure how or where to start because I feel like that's a pretty common, pretty common sentiment. <laughs> well, I think one thing I would say is start, you know, mm-hmm. just take that first step. I don't think I've ever found something where it's just like, this is 100% my dream because, you know, mm-hmm. my dreams and goals have changed, you know, over the course of my life. Um, so what you want now, you know, the only way to kind of get there is to take that first step and everything else will open up to you. But you have to take the first step and not just be have the paralysis by analysis that that really just it's a really intelligent way to procrastinate you know just thinking <laughs> it i just mm-hmm. it really i feel like it's that you know paralysis by analysis like yes please go and do due diligence and look and you know to not move because it's like the what ifs and what ifs what ifs you know there are only so many what ifs you i allow myself to have and then it's like okay i have to go and just do this and learn about this and then get a little bit broader scope and like, you know, wait for the next opportunity to come through, come around. Yeah. And I think to kind of similar sentiment to what we were speaking on earlier, like it doesn't have to be permanent, like what you do or pursue doesn't have to be permanent. So not anymore. Taking, yeah, not anymore. <laughs> you know, not, in, not in 2021 going to 2022, you're going to have multiple careers, you know, in your lifetime. So just take yeah. that step. Um, so you're currently an early engagement solutions manager at Hawkridge Systems. Could you share more about what Hawkridge Systems does? Sure, sure. Um, Hawkridge Systems is uh, is a company where we are a reseller of SolidWorks 3D design, 3D CAD software. So my team, we run the uh, the education vertical and the entrepreneur. So there's an entire entrepreneur program that um, I run with founders. Founders who are mostly in the hardware space that are mm-hmm. using SolidWorks uh, software to create their products and grow their companies. What first attracted you to Hawkridge Systems? Uh, well, the story is, it, it's an actually an opportunity story. Um, mm-hmm. The person who uh, introduced me to Hawkridge Systems, um, I actually raced motorcycles with. And we, we knew each other for, you know, I want to say like a couple of years before that conversation about Hawkridge actually started because he saw the things that I was doing, you know, outside of in the role I was in at that time. And uh, so we started talking about this role. And it's like, hey, you know, I, I have this, you know, idea to put someone in this space and to do these things. And he felt like I had the skill sets to kind of, you know, take it in 
and run with it. And uh, over the course of these conversations, uh, I was like, you know, let's take a stab at this. And it's been great, you know, for the past uh, coming up on four years now, it's been nothing but, you know, growth and it's been fantastic. Yeah. I love when that happens, when things mm-hmm. kind of just the timing works out and the opportunity is there. Yeah. And just, yeah, again, it's just more of the theme of my life, you know, just enhancing my, my, my network, using the network that you have, you know, networks are super key in the whole taking advantage of opportunities, making sure you cultivate and continue to grow your network. Cause that's where the majority of your opportunities are going to come from. Mm-hmm. I know, like, at least for myself, when I was college age um, and younger, approaching people with the mindset of networking was a little bit intimidating. Do you have any advice for students who are wanting to network, but it's like an intimidating space for them, like how to navigate that? Get involved with things, you know, get involved in different clubs, get involved in, uh, you know, societies or, uh, you know, Toastmasters, things like mm-hmm. that. Where I mean, honestly, it's 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 really a great place to kind of just meet people because you all have a common. You're there for a common purpose, but then you get to meet them and find out like what they're about outside of that, and that's how you you know end up growing more and more of your network. Cultivating a network, I, I say it, you know, especially the founders that you know the early stage founders I work with when they start asking about, oh, I need to hire somebody, and like, hey use your network of people. You didn't get to this spot on your own. There are people mm-hmm. that you know who probably know someone else that you know. And it's just an easier uh, route to, to get something accomplished, you know, in the short term. Yeah, definitely. And it's good to keep in mind for students too. Like there are mm-hmm. people that think that way that will leverage their own network. So it's important to cast a wide net and continue fostering those relationships. Honestly, I feel like most of the world thinks that way. You know, if mm-hmm. you think about anything that happens, you know, it's mostly done through the network that's been created. Yeah. Could you share more about what your role entails specifically, like what your day-to-day looks like? You mentioned, um, you know, you work with early mm-hmm. startups and such. Mm-hmm. Um, so my day, uh, it's between, you know, managing the sales team and then uh, working with the entrepreneurs uh, as a sales manager, you know, it's the making sure everybody's on track with, with goals. The entrepreneur side of it is really interesting because um, we're doing this through the mechanism of using SolidWorks. But since they're early stage entrepreneurs, there are a lot more resources that I bring to the table because I work with a, an accelerator here in San Francisco as a sales mentor. There are companies that you know that I work with that have a lot of resources that are available to these founders beyond SolidWorks. So we start to get into conversations about all right, you know, you're doing this with SolidWorks, but you want to raise your team and then, or you want to build your team and like, okay, you've gotten pretty far with your product development. You know, have you started thinking about a seed round, a series A round? And so we start getting into conversations of like how to prep their company and, you know, doing, uh, taking those next, next steps to help them grow. So it's, it's a, a broad stroke kind of early stage uh, mentoring that, that happens in addition to the, you know, hey, here's what you need for the SolidWorks software as well. Mm-hmm. Well, those people are super lucky to have you then since you're, <laughs> I hope, I hope they feel that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It sounds, it sounds really great through your work, uh, with working with entrepreneurs, um, as kind of that mentor, is there anything that you can kind of share for students who might be interested in pursuing entrepreneur opportunities? Oh my gosh. I say, do it. I find it founders that go and have the drive to create something and build a team to, you know, take it to that next level of product development and and you know the management component that goes into it the the sales component that goes into it and i'm not necessarily about the product but like to sell yourself to 
you know, uh, an investor to convince them to invest money. It's, it's a, it's a journey that I think in all honesty, you know, I, I didn't really know much about it, you know, when I was in the high school, college years, that this, it wasn't something that was, that I was involved in, but now that, you know, living in the Bay area for as long as I have, and, you know, just being around this and I'm just like, wow, if, if students start doing small pieces of this at an early age, it, the world is kind of yours. If you want to do that, the advice is just, you know, yeah, do it, you know, get involved in the, 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 the meetups, the accelerators, the, the, the groups, you know, if you have that, if you have that entrepreneurial, uh, you know, fire, please follow it. It's how the world will change. Honestly. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are the, some of the things that people are creating these days. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And that's, it's going to bring us to the next stage of whatever it is going to be in hardware, software, technology. But um, yeah, if you really want to change the world and you have an idea, please just pursue it. You know, it, it's, it's benefit all of us. Do you feel like there's any common like mistakes or challenges that you see come up pretty often or? Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, and I think the big picture mistakes, uh, really not, not asking for help. I, I would say that, you know, that would be the early stage stuff because there are a lot of answers that founders just don't have. I mean, they're entrepreneurs. They want to go and just like do it on their own. And, you know, sometimes, you know, asking for the help or advice would benefit them. But uh, I would say that, yeah, the early thing is asking for help would be the mistake. Not asking for help. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's probably just a good life lesson too. Like it's okay to ask for help. True. Yeah. (laughs) Very true. Yeah. I know there's definitely points in my life that I didn't and I definitely would have benefited from it. So yeah, that's great. Me too. I'm not, I'm not, (laughs) I'm not saying I don't do it. I've I've done it or been guilty of that as myself. Mm -hmm. And then the sales side of your role, I feel like sales is so interesting, especially in tech, because all companies will likely have a sales department and there's a lot of opportunities there. And at least from what I gather in conversations with some students, it just feels like they don't have the right personality for sales or something along those lines, which I feel like isn't it doesn't always have to be a barrier. Um, so I'm curious, like what, what things you feel like are important for those sales positions for those folks that you're, you're kind of managing and overseeing. The thing about sales is that we all have to do sales every day of our lives. Um, mm-hmm. I know it may sound like a little hokey thing where I'm going to like <laughs> ask you to link or click on my, my YouTube and the <laughs> subscribe, but it's, it's mm-hmm. 100% true. It's true that sales is something that you do no matter what industry you're in. Now, if you're going to, if you want to go into sales, um, the great thing about sales is that everyone can be trained how to sell really just, you know, being organized. It's, you know, following the sales process. Um, it's not something to be intimidated about because I mean, really everyone can do sales and it's a great skill to have because, you know, especially if you're going to be an entrepreneur or if you're going to be in business, you're going to have to sell your abilities to someone else, to that next opportunity. You're going to have to sell a product if you're going to be an entrepreneur. You're going to have to sell an idea. And that's literally all the same sales process. I'm sorry, I don't know if you're asking for advice or, but I just say that that's, it's important because it's something that we all do all the time. You mentioned um, everyone can be trained in sales. Is there any like resources that come to mind? Because I feel like in school, there's not like a sales class. There's like, you know, there's like entrepreneur tracks, I know for like some business schools, but not necessarily sales. So 
are there resources or things that you feel like students can do to prepare for those roles? Oh yeah, there are tons of resources. I mean, you know, from the super cheap, you know, you can get on YouTube and there's, like I said, there's tons of people who are talking about how, how to sell. And, mm -hmm. and in all honesty, you start watching enough of those, you start to see the common threads of like, oh yeah, this is, you know, it seems like everyone is doing this process. I, I like, uh, uh, I mean, if you want to get something organized and structured, you know, reading about the Sandler method, there's a good book on, on that. Um, uh, you can't learn to ride a bike at a seminar. I believe that's the name the title of, this, of the book. <laughs> mm -hmm. But um, but yeah, it gets into, you know, or it is a book about sales and how to do that and how to build rapport and how to, you know, build value. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a great read for someone who is thinking about, you know, Hey, I want to do this, you know, and it's important. And I think that would be a great, a great place to start. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. There's so many resources out there. Sometimes it's hard to like sift through it all. So yeah, just folks can be, start with that. <laughs> be, yeah. Being intellectually curious about, you know, everything, but especially about sales, I think that really helps. And then, you know, just get your foot in the door with something where honestly starting out, you know, selling something in retail. I think it's one of the best places to kind of cut your teeth and get those skills of what I do tell my, my team is that, you know, sales really is an exercise of managing your negative emotions mm. because or statistically, most of the time you're going to hear no, mm -hmm. you're going to hear no from people, but it all, it really matters about like how you handle hearing of no, that you're hearing no all the time. If you look at the statistics and like a sales pipeline, you know, if you keep doing the things that you're supposed to do, you're going to, you know, meet your goal, you're going to get, you know, the sales you need to get, but those no's, you can't let those impact you because that's not the reality. The reality is you're actually going to be selling quite a few things, but uh, you have to learn how to manage that, that negative voice in your head, which mm -hmm. goes into all of life, I think. Yeah, definitely. I think I would probably benefit from from some of that <laughs> we all we all hearing can, no yes. is so hard <laughs> hearing yes it, it does get tough sometimes for everyone mm -hmm. yeah that's that's great advice I also on your LinkedIn I saw that you're also an investor in residence for Mighty Capital which is mm -hmm. an early growth Silicon Valley venture capital firm so for folks who aren't super familiar with what a VC is or what an investor in residence does could you kind of de demystify those two things for folks? Sure. Mighty Capital is a venture capital fund that was started by my wife, S.C. Mwadi. And uh, with venture capital, there are a lot of, there are a lot of ways to, to have an impact. Um, and for what we, we do at Mighty Capital and what most venture capitalists do, you end up being a, a, an advocate or you're helping to, to assist the entrepreneur in this journey by providing guidance, providing expertise, and, you know, trying to create a way to bring value to what the entrepreneur is trying to do. So that's the, the venture capital piece, you know, from helping the, the entrepreneur side. And as far as an investor in residence, um, that's, that's an opportunity for a person who is, uh, who's interested in becoming an investor or has curiosity about becoming an investor. So uh, the investor in residence program for Mighty Capital is just an opportunity for people to come in and watch the process, watch the sausage being made, watch the decision-making process with, you know, picking a company, watch, you know, if you're fortunate, you know, the due diligence once they've decided on a company to invest in and, uh, you know, just kind of be a part of that and learn about the questions, learn about the things to look for, uh, for a company, you know, that, uh, 
you hope is going to be successful. And it's, so it's just a, a another uh, aspect of learning and improving, you know, that that sphere of knowledge that you have. Great, thank you. And if I could ask a follow up question for the investor in residence, when you are in that role, do you work with the other investors in residences of the firm that you work for? Or is it more of like an independent role that you kind of take on? Does that make sense? Uh, it does. Uh, for Mighty Capital, you know, just depending on the time and who is curious or is interested in this, um, mm-hmm. you're going to be working with the other investors who are there making those decisions. As far as the investor and other investor in residence, sometimes there could be one, sometimes there could be multiple. You could choose to work with them and learn together as a group or just stay as an individual. But it's a community kind of a, a endeavor to to go through this process. So the more you're working with and talking to and picking the brain of other people who are uh, interested in investing, the, the better the experience is going to be for you and the, the more you're going to learn. Great. Thank you. I'm curious what led you to pursue that. I know you mentioned your partner mm-hmm. um, is the founder, but I'm curious learning more like why you wanted to pursue pursue that. You know, it actually is uh, it's something that kind of grew more out of the, the, the sales world, you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, when you're fundraising, you know, that's basically a sales process, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a sale. Um, and then just wanting, again, like my philosophy of like getting in and then learning more about the peripheral uh, uh, around me, um, I wanted to, to get a little bit more into, uh, to doing that and understanding it. And so that's, that's where that came from. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say like the preparation for someone who is interested in that type of role would be similar to sales or are there very specific things like internships or majors or training programs that you feel like um, folks should engage with before pursuing that? It's literally all of the above Uh, Mm -hmm. and networking as well. You know, so I would say building that network while you're in school um, with people who are of the like mindset to want to be investors or want to get in that to that world and then getting your foot in the door in the VC world of you know doing a doing one of those jobs where you can learn more about you know what it is to be in venture capital yeah so it's it's literally all of the above to get into that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i think there's also a pretty well-known stereotype of like what a venture capitalist you know looks like or is like it's a pretty homogenous group um i think at least the stereotypical vision I even read a stat that said that at the top uh, 100 venture firms, only 8% of investing partners were women, 2% were Hispanic, and not even 1% were Black. And personally entering homogenous spaces, specifically spaces that are very white or very wealthy for me, is really uncomfortable um, at times. Is there anything about venture capitalists that you feel like is misrepresented or misunderstood that you can speak to? Well, you're, what you've read is better than what I've read because I've heard it was like 3% of women run VC nice. firms. <laughs> so <laughs> a very small percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, like, how could you speak to that? It's just, uh, it's a world that's uh, uh, been pretty, I think it, it kind of goes back into the networks that we kind of talked about. You know, mm-hmm. there, one, it's not something that, uh, if I think back to my young adult life. It's not something that I talk with, with people, you know, especially in the military and law enforcement circles. Um, and then, you know, when I was in the tech side, there still wasn't a lot of talk about VC. So it's not, it wasn't something that I was exposed to in my early networks. 
it wasn't until later in life that I was more exposed to it. So I think a lot of that just comes from, or how people are kind of brought up in their, in their early adult life, um, what they're exposed to in their early adult life and, uh, how to change that. I, I, I mean, I think just, you know, at this level, you know, being exposing, uh, young adults to the possibilities of being an entrepreneur, being, you know, not necessarily in venture capital, but like being in that world is, uh, is a start to kind of start shifting, you know, the makeup of what or who is in venture capital. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a, that's not a simple, a simple question. There's, no, there's not a simple, no, there's not, not a simple answer to that <laughs> at all, but, but from my experience, I think it's just, you know, the exposure, the more I've grown my network, the more I'm, I've been exposed to people who are, who are uh, in venture capital. And so here I am. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What was your experience like navigating, if you don't mind speaking to that, um, just this space um, and how do you kind of stay grounded in yourself? Just because again, like you mentioned, the stat that I mentioned is probably a little optimistic. <laughs> um, well, it's uh, really just working, uh, working through, uh, actually working with my wife. She is, uh, she's a, a fantastic resource. You know, she's incredibly knowledgeable when it comes to rich capital. And then just through that exposure and speaking with people. And then obviously, I think the bigger thing is working with the, the founders that I work with through my entrepreneur program and kind of, you know, speaking with them and getting them prepared to be in front of, you know, uh, a group of uh, GPs. That is, I guess, not necessarily keeps me grounded, but it keeps me, uh, it keeps me in the space of trying to help founders understand what is needed to convince someone that their company is worth, or sorry, not worth their investing it, but their company will actually give them an exit uh, if they put money into it. Cause that's really the biggest concern that someone in VC is looking for. They're looking for an exit or return on their money. So mm-hmm. having them speak from that, that aspect is, you know, it's a shift for early stage founders. Cause usually they're like, ah, oh, my product, my baby, you know, they're mm-hmm. thinking about that. They're not necessarily <laughs> thinking about like, oh, well, how is, how is this going to give this person who's going to be money going to give them a return on it. And so getting to shift that mindset in the early stages, is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a challenge. Companies mm-hmm. in the later stages, you know, they get it, they get that they understand how the game is played, but early stage founders, you know, kind of prying their hands off the bootstrap mentality uh, and getting them into that keeps me grounded in that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Again, like the people you work with are so lucky because you do have that perspective. So you can bring that to the table. I think that's really awesome. Identity is obviously intersectional, but I'm curious what it's been like for you observing and supporting your partner. Um, and she's a founder and obviously is very knowledgeable um, and successful, but because like I mentioned, there's not a lot of women in the space. So I'm just curious. Yeah. Um, I would say in our household, we have conversations and we have conversations about the things that are, that impact us in these spaces. She's a, she's an immigrant mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, so that's a whole set of challenges that are very unique than, and different than my challenges of being, you know, a, a black, a black man, you know, in mm-hmm. these spaces. So there are a lot of challenges that we share and there are a lot of things or insights that both of us have for one another that definitely help, help us navigate things or just navigate, you know, the, the negative voices, the, the nose, the, the things of that nature. So it's, uh, you know, she's, she's got so many incredible skill sets. So, you know, I'm, 
I'm pretty sure I'm learning way more than she's learning from me. But <laughs> yeah, I think that's the makeup of, of how how it works well with us, you know, when it comes to to the business side of things. Mm -hmm. That's great that you can lean on each other and speak to each other, communicate, sometimes just putting it out into the universe and speaking about things can be so helpful. Mm -hmm. So that's great that you can lean on each other in that way. You touched on this earlier, but both tech and venture capital firms have these equity gaps that I feel like it's pretty widely accepted. How do you think we can continue to close that gap in those industries and diversify the workforce in those spaces? You mentioned exposure. Is there anything else that comes to mind? I think the biggest factor is exposure. Venture capital, um, tech, the, the world that you know I'm in with you know, 3D CAD, you know, it's it's um I think we we have a, a challenge of exposing people that we're working with at SRA to these things. And I think that that is, that would go a long way. I mean, you can throw money at this all day long, but, you know, and create programs for, you know, later on in adult life. But I think exposure early on is a, a key, a big key to helping later on down the road, you know, make it so that people are, you know, when they're 17 years old, like I was, you know, like, Hey, I have these other options. You know, their, their, their view is much wider than what mine was, you know, where someone's talking about tech and, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur or I want to be an investor, you know, I mean, that would be fantastic to have, you know, 16, 17 year old kids at SRA talking about, yeah, I think I would like to do that because they're just light years ahead of uh, where, where I was at that time. So I think early, early exposure is a, probably the biggest thing we could do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you are a board member. So I'm also curious what inspired you to join this board specifically? Well, we discovered uh, SRA long before I became, I want to say like four or five years before I got on the board and we'd been mm -hmm. making donations to the company because we thought it was just a great organization. And then the more I would like watch the galas and stuff, the more I was looking, I'm like, Hey, you know, I don't really hear a lot of tech or anything coming out of there. Like, and I was, I was always wondering like, how does how is that working for them? Like, what are they doing? Because I just, I remember I was thinking like, I have all these resources. I mean, if they're not doing it, we could do something. And so, yeah. So then we started having conversations about it and, you know, I started chatting with people and next thing you know, here I am on the board, you know, just trying to, <laughs> uh, I was moved by the program, but I saw that like, oh, we could, we might be able to do more, something more here. Um, so, uh, you know, we're working towards that now. More exposure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Did you have any expectations going into the experience and how did your actual experiences thus far kind of compare to those expectations? With being on a board? Mm -hmm. um, I feel like it's pretty in line for, with what a board does and how a board operates. It's, uh, well, I should say, you know, it is different because um, very intentional about uh, making sure that we have a great conversations about diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, mm -hmm. which is very different than a lot of conversations I've made in other entities. You know, this, having that intentional focus has just been, it's really been a learning for me. Been, it's, and I think that's been great. So that in that, in that way, it's different. But I think uh, as far as the pace of things and how it's going, it's just pretty much how, you know, boards operate. Mm -hmm. To you, what does it mean to be a board member? Because I think there's like, you know, an idea but yeah, to you, what does it mean? What does it mean to be a board member? Yes, great questions. Um, it <laughs> means, <laughs> to me, it means helping to shape the big picture by just listening and asking great questions. 
that doesn't really answer your question. Like, what does it mean to me? It means that I'm doing something to impact the change that we're kind of talking about, you know, to doing something I'm actively engaged in uh, helping to bring the exposure down to earlier ages of, of things that, you know, will really move the needle later in life when, you know, people are, or, you know, young adults grow into adulthood and do the things that change the world. And that means a lot to me because, you know, just kind of looking at the world today, you know, it's really easy to hear all the, I'll just classify them all as no's, the no's and the negative voices. And mm -hmm. uh, I think doing this, it definitely is a way to be like, yeah, no, it's the, the world's a lot better than a lot of people will have you say it is. That means a lot to me. What would you say is like your greatest hope for SRA and our students when you think about the future or their experiences? What would you say is your greatest hope for them? I would hope that uh, we could expand this to touch more people and expand it in a way where it gets a little bit broader as far as, uh, as far as, you know, career paths and, and courses of study. And I mean, I would love this to be national, like just, you know, beyond what's going on in the Bay area, that would just be, that would be fantastic. But, uh, that's, you know, that's my idea of where I could see this going. Mm -hmm. So I have two closing questions for this conversation. I ask all our guests these questions. So the first closing question is, what's the best advice you've received? Best advice I received. Um, this is when I was, uh, actually when I was in law enforcement, uh, I, was, I was a firearms instructor and there was a the guy who got me into that. He would always tell me, it's like, look, you just, you gotta repeat these things until it's muscle memory. And then when it's muscle memory, then you can kind of, you can go places that you didn't think you can go before. So, and for some reason that just stuck. So it's just, when I go into something, you know, I just repeat it, repeat it, repeat it to, to get it ingrained, to get the, you know, a sales process, you know, something I'm doing physically, you know, just to get it in my head. So I'll just get that muscle memory going. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's great. And then the second closing question is what's the best advice you could give your younger self? Um, best advice I could remember self. Wow. <laughs> Going through all the pitfalls here. <laughs> I mean, just don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> the best advice I can give myself is that believe you can do it. That's solid. And that's something that I feel like should be carried, of course, throughout your life. Yeah. It's just the belief and the, you know, taking that first step. Yes, for sure. Well, thank you. That is all of my questions. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me and for all the advice that you've shared. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. For our next episode, we're joined by SRA board member Dipti Sarasinahal. 
Dipti is the lead people partner at Google. Tune in to our next episode to learn how Dipti made her path. The How I Made My Path podcast is a program of Students Rising Above, a nonprofit organization working at the intersections of racial equity, education, and workforce development to create transformative change for low-income first-generation students. This podcast and all the services provided by SRA would not be possible without the generous support of our donors. Please consider making a donation to support our work by visiting studentsrisingabove.org, where you can also learn more about SRA. For more information on our podcast, check out at mypathpodcast on Instagram. Music created by SRA alum Alex Arango. And that's it for today. I'm Caitlin Endo. See you next time.